So we're back in a series on stewardship. So if you're coming back from Easter, welcome back. We're going to talk about your money. That's <laughs> Welcome to church. Okay. Just get it out of the way. Um, I joke, but as I said the last time we talked about stewardship, the reality is God has a lot to say about the way we spend money. And, and money really taps into our heart's desires because money is the thing that enables us to pursue our heart's desires. You know, if we want to have, you know, this, this stuff or these, these things, money gets us those things. If we want to have a better house or we want to live by the beach or in the mountains, money gets us there. Even if we want to have a relationship with that pretty little lady or that handsome young man, money doesn't hurt, you know? I'm just saying, guys, get a job. Um, if that's your aim, it would help. Especially if you're, anyways. Uh, anyhow, the youth are gone, so it's pointless. Like, don't date unless he's got a job and a degree and a plan. And some other stuff, yeah. And Jesus. And we, well, anyways, anyways. Uh, okay, I'm completely off here. What are we talking about? Money, stewardship, thank you. Stewardship is important because the reality is God has given us money. Money is not evil, but this love, this temptation towards desiring money as a means of power, of prominence, of control in our life, it's, it's something that, that we have to fight against. So when we talk about stewardship, it's, it's more than just managing money because stewardship speaks to the fact that we're managing someone else's money. The Bible presents the things that we own as ultimately God's. We are God's. Everything in the earth is God's. Even though God gives us property and when it comes to horizontal relationships, I can have something that's mine and it's not this person's. They can have something that's theirs and it's not mine. When it comes to our relationship to God, there's nothing that we can say, God, this is mine, it's not yours. And so everything that we have when we talk about stewardship, all of a sudden has an implied purpose. You know, things, your money, your property, your, your stuff, it doesn't sit inert. It, it has an, an implicit demand on it that it be used in a way that shows that that is not your treasure, but God is your treasure. Now, if, for example, if you have a car and you love your car, you know, I, I was so excited when they finally fixed the Mustangs. They had the weird, like, 90s thing. It was terrible. And then they, they changed the grill and they got bigger and they looked awesome. You see the chargers around. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. They're really cool cars. I like them. And, and if you like that car, that's fine. And there's nothing that says that you can't buy that car. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not, you know, purchase a Ford or something like that. I'm not trying to make a Ford Chevy thing. Just calm down. Um, but what, what God does say is that when you use that, you need to use it in a way that brings glory to him. Now, we don't have to over-spiritualize that and say that, you know, well, just so long as I have third day going or just so long as I have, you know, 104.1 playing and I'm praising God, then, then that's appropriate usage. But, uh, you know, there's no non That's not the point. The point is that, that the use ought to be used in a manner that, that helps you move forward in your purpose to glorify God. If it's your job, if it's your house, Big house, small house. If you have a big house, 
you know, maybe God is saying, host a small group. You know, if you have a small house, maybe God is saying, ask your person with a big house to host a small group. And then go lead that small group. Talk to Karen and David. Okay, when they come back from DR. Um, but but mo- money and, and stuff and property is given to us with an implied purpose. We can't just sit and, and just say, I get to do whatever I want with whatever I want. The Bible says that when we come to Jesus Christ and we, we receive him as our savior, we also receive him as our Lord. And if he's the Lord of our lives, he's the Lord of our money. So today we are gonna continue to talk about what this kind of biblical stewardship looks like. And, and the reality is that God calls us to a countercultural generous, joyful, and faith-filled giving it's lifestyle. Not a one-time moment, not a, not a every now and again, not a begrudging thing, not a, not a stingy thing, but a generous, joyful, faith-filled giving. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read verses uh, 6 through 9. Everyone stand up if you would. We're going to stand as a way of showing our reverence and respect for God and his word. As Pastor David says, this is the most important part. The rest of this is, is our, our grasping and understanding what, what we just said with our words. So we're going to read this together. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, in all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would give us a picture of who you are that is so big, that is so expansive, that is so uh, all-consuming that when we think about money, we don't struggle to give it away. Lord, I pray that our trust in you would, would grow, that our faith in you as a God who gives, who provides would be cemented in our souls. So when you call us to give joyfully, to give bountifully, generously, to give in a manner that expresses the faith that we have in you, that we would do it in a heartbeat. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said before, God is not shy about your stuff. Sometimes when we, we think about Christianity, we think, oh, you know, you don't go to that R-rated movie and uh, stop cursing so much or uh, don't do that terrible thing like murder. And yes, the, that, we, we draw the circle really wide, right? And we're like, anything in here is kind of like whatever. But God, he jumps in the middle and says, no, I want that right there. And you're like, I'd really rather that you didn't take this from me. You know, this is... As Gollum would say, mine, right? Like, you can have that stuff over there that I, that I was going to give it to Goodwill anyways. 
Um, so if you could take it there, that'd be awesome. No, he says, I want the things that you value over me. I want to touch those things. I want to get in the middle of those things. I want to, I want to incite your heart to some rage to help you understand that you have an idol. And then I want to break you of that idol so that you can love and appreciate the glory of God more. God is, he's about meddling. And I'm thankful for it. I'm, you know, I'm not thankful in the moment. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and they're like, well, we're going to have to run some tests. And you're like, okay, okay. It's going to involve needles. I'd rather not. <laughs> you know, they're meddling, but it's, it's for a good purpose. And that's, that's what God is doing here. And so he gets real specific. Paul shows us in this text that as Christians, our, our lives ought to be characterized by generous, joyful, and faith-filled giving. Uh, and, and if we look at the context, we can't just like, well, he's talking about sowing spiritual seed. You know, just niceness, kindness, sow lots of happy thoughts to everyone. No, he's talking cash. I mean, or coin, probably coin in this time frame. I don't know, money. So let's look at, uh, you don't have to, you can. I'm just going to look at verses one through five of chapter nine, where he kind of lays out specifically what it is he's talking about in case anyone in Corinth had maybe forgotten. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. As a side note, 2 Corinthians is full of like sarcasm and tongue-in-cheek conversation. So if you're ever like, God is, he's not into sarcasm, just read 2 Corinthians. God loves sarcasm. Appropriately, in the right settings. I'm not, anyways, don't be mean and then say that Pastor Eddie said so. <laughs> now, it's superfluous for me to write, about, write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know... I know your readiness, of which I boast about, uh, about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready, to, ready since last year. So he went and he visited the Macedonians. Uh, Philippi was one of the cities uh, in Macedonia. And he was basically saying, I've been, I've been bragging on you guys in Achaia. Corinth is in Achaia. Um, I've been telling them how, how generous you're going to be. Paul had been on this trip where one of the things he was doing was collecting money to support the, the Christians in Jerusalem. They needed money, they were poor, they were having some troubles. So he went from, from city to city and he collected money. He had sent word ahead of time that he was going to collect money. And he goes on to say, and your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready. Be ready, guys. As I said, to you, as I said that you would be. I said that you were going to be. Don't make me look stupid. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. In other words, we'd be humiliated, humiliated, but so would you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you've promised. So there's some, you know, Paul, he's not a fool. He's, he's, not, he's not naive. And so he's saying, I'm coming and, and I want to remind you guys that you made this commitment and I want you to honor that commitment. And he's kind of, it's kind of tongue in cheek, kind of, don't make me look stupid, but there's, there's, a, there's a bit of pushing and pressure behind it. And this whole letter, he had, he had been fighting back against some of his opponents in Corinth who were saying some things and, and discounting some of his ministry. So that's part of the reason there's that tone there. But the reality is he's talking about money. And he, he even, if we were to look at 1 Corinthians at the end, he talks about 
the, you know, your Bible might even say it, the collection of the saints. He explains, this is what I want you to do in 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the collection of the saints, I, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. In other words, whatever is, is the right amount for you, you know, it's not, this is not the same number for everyone, but whatever is right for you, put that aside so that there will be no collecting when I come. In other words, you're not like, oh no, it's tax time and I have to pay all my taxes right now. Uh, no, he's saying you've been saving up to give. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you are credited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So he's, he's set this up where he has said, this is how I want you to do it. I want you to save up this money and I want you to be ready to give. And then he gives in the second letter more instructions saying, I wasn't joking, I am coming. Make sure that you have the money ready. Um, sorry. We can certainly make application about sowing and reaping uh, in our lives and, and generosity of time and generosity of energy and effort and, and service and volunteering. And that's all well and good. But I don't, I just don't want to encourage you, don't let yourself off the hook. Don't, don't, don't sidestep the conviction and, and super spiritualize this. Jesus cares about your money. Paul cares about your money. God cares about your money. And we're going we're gonna to hear that Paul cares not because he's, you know, gold suit wearing um, liar. He's not a cheat. He's not someone who's, who's trying to swindle people out of money. But he cares about their heart and he cares about their conviction and how that is expressed through the way they spend money. Let's look at verse 6. This is so fun. Everyone's so, everyone's so quiet. It's going to be okay, guys. Yeah, I know, exactly. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul is tapping into a well-known proverbial metaphor. You see this in several places in, in Proverbs. We even see it in, in the Gospels where this idea of what you sow, you will reap. And it's, it's not, it makes sense. I mean, you, you imagine the farmer, if, or let's take it to real life. You have a townhouse and you've got like a, you know, a five by five foot backyard. And so you take one foot square, you know, just a whole one foot because, you know, you're living large. And you put soil down and then you, t- you get that one seed, put that in there, good, all the way. Pour, this, pour the water in. I'm a, I'm a farmer. <laughs> What's going to happen? Nothing. That seed is going to get eaten by some animal or bug or maybe it wasn't even a seed because you live in Northern Virginia and you don't really know how to garden. That's me. It was, you know, it was a piece of lint or something. My... Right? Slowing sparingly, you see that that's not, even if you do succeed, you just get this one little, and then you mess it up anyway. You're like, well, I'm going to pour some water on it. And it's like, I'm dying. <laughs> right? If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. It makes sense. Now, imagine the other situation where, and this is, again, let's look at my backyard. Five by five. It's not really five by five, but we'll pretend. Um, and we were putting down grass seed. 
I'll tell you what I didn't do was just, okay, let's put a hole right here, put that grass seed in right there. No, I took the bag, and because, you know, I've got a huge yard of five by five, I was like, I'm going to buy the little thing that you push, and it just disperses, because it's too hard to do this. So I bought the thing, I did do this, pour in the blue seed, because blue seed turns into green set grass, I don't know how that works, um, pour in the blue seed, and I start pushing that thing, and it's got settings, it's like, how crazy do you want to get? And I was like, real crazy. And so it's like, <laughs> and there was blue everywhere. And even though I am a terrible, like, I don't have green thumbs. I might as well have brown thumbs or just chop my thumbs off. I don't have thumbs. I, grass grew. Yeah. Yay. Don't cry. It's dead now. It's gone. But for that season, it worked. I've got other problems. Um, but the point is clear. We, Paul says, give generously. Don't live your life where you're, you're miserly. And, and what is he saying? Your money has a purpose to it. He, he, he's saying that when you sow seed, something ought to come back. Sometimes when you think, when I use money, that's, that's the purpose, that's the end, is to use the money. No, God says there's a purpose, and there ought to be something that comes back. And I'm not talking about like ROI, return on investment. I'm talking about there ought to be something that happens in the kingdom of God. There ought to be something that happens in the world because of the purpose that God has for your money, that it does something. You know, we're not putting rocks in the ground. Hopefully. As a side note, when you garden, don't put rocks in the ground. Um, but no, we're putting, we're putting something in it with the hope that, that God is going to do something with it. And when you do that, when you give, don't just give, I'm going to put my $1 bill in there. I mean, if that's what you got, and if that's generous for you, you know, if one of my kids says I want to give $1, I'm not going to say, you know, you need to give more. But, but be honest about the reality that God wants you to give generously. What does that look like? I'll tell you that gener- generosity usually coincides with sacrifice. When God gives generously, he sacrifices. And God has a lot of stuff. So for him to sacrifice, it's giving a lot. He calls us to give in a manner that, that shows that we're being generous. This is, this, this is a paradoxical view because the world would say, save up, save up, save up, save up, save up. You know, get your 401ks, get your Roth IRAs, get, get, get yourself set up. And, and, and maybe, you know, as you're able, as it benefits you for tax purposes, give. But, but when Paul says give, he's not saying don't be wise. But he's saying, let's, let's look at our priorities here. Amen. Saying, the goal is not to amass wealth and then hope that maybe you have a little bit to give. No, the goal is to, if you're, if, if you're called to, you know, you, you are a business person and, and you make money and it's just something that has come easily to you, that's fine. But that has to be, there has to be a purpose. It can't just be, you know, it, it would look weird if you came to my house and I was like, hey, do you want to see my collection of seed? I've got like four bags of blue seed. I'm going to get a fifth one next week. Like that's, that's weird. But sometimes we live our life and we're like, look at my bank account. I've got a lot of blue seed. And God is saying, there's a lot of people who need their grass fixed. Right? 
ought to give generously. But not only should we give generously, we should give joyfully. Look at verse 7 with me. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, you know what? God is interested more than just your compulsory acts. Because again, when he's dealing with your money, when he gets in the middle of your money, he doesn't want you to change behavior primarily. He wants to change attitude. He wants to get at the heart of the matter. And so if you're the kind of person who, who's, well, the Bible says give generously, and, or I'll give generously. I'm not going to like it. You know, I was going to go see Endgame, and now I can't, and this is terrible. I saw it. It was awesome. Tonight, today, across America, there will be so many analogies and drawings from Endgame. And for the next year, you're going to hear, hear, well, you're not, from not, anyways. It'll be used in, in sermons, I'm assuming. Side note, completely unrated, related, I'm sorry. Um, God wants us to give joyfully as well. Uh, he cares about our motivation. There's a, there's a story in... Acts chapter 5, which is not so much about joyful giving as much as it is about not being well-motivated. We have the, the early church is blowing up and, and, and people are coming to the Lord and they're excited about Jesus and, and the, the wealthy people, individuals in the church are selling their property and just giving it to the apostles. And the apostles are giving it out as people have need. And it's, it's so fun and it's exciting and never, there's a buzz and so this guy, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, they're like, let's get in on the fun. It's going to be awesome. So they go, you know, they talk to their realtor, they sell their, their rental property, and they get tons back because Amazon's moving into the area, and it's awesome. They just have wads of cash. And they say, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take, we're just going to take 10%. We're going to put that in our IRA because that's wisdom. And then we're going to take the other 90% and we'll give it, we'll give it to Peter. They come to Peter and like uh, Ananias comes to Peter and he's like, here's, here's, 90%, or here's 100% of, of our sale of our Ashburn rental property. And Peter looks at him and says, 100%? He's like, yeah, I was sacrificing. And, and Peter ends up saying, why are you lying to, you're not lying to me, you're lying to God. And, and if Ananias dies. I mean, he just falls over dead. Sapphira walks, Sapphira walks into the room and she fails the quiz too. She dies, and the church is shook. And they realize God cares about our motivation. God cares about your motivation. The giving for Ananias and Sapphira was good. I mean, Peter says, you could have given 90% and said it was 90%, and we would have been good. You could have kept it for yourself. You could have gone and bought, you know, a car, or you could have done whatever you wanted because that was money that you were having to steward. But the fact that you gave with the wrong motivation, that was what God wanted to, to deal with. Our attitude towards giving betrays our, what we trust. And, and here's the thing. For the most part, other people won't see your attitude. See, the, the, the danger is that we can be very, very uh, fake. We can come to church and say, you know, I'm going to give my money and Everybody look at me. Or we can talk about how we give. Or we don't have to talk about it. We can just give and fool ourselves into thinking some things. But the reality is the, our attitude towards giving when, when God calls us to give, when we bring up missionaries or we take the offering or 
You have opportunities. You see a guy on the street. Your attitude towards giving betrays what you trust. If you trust in money, you're giving away your God. You don't want to give your God away. You're giving away your power. You don't want to give your power away. If you trust in Jesus, this is just stuff. There's so much more. God has so much more. Again, we're not talking about wisdom. We're not talking about the ins and outs of specifics. We're not talking about, well, should we give to people on the street when we know that we might be um, helping them, uh, you know, become codependent. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the attitude and the willingness to jump to the opportunity to even have that conversation. We ought to give joyfully. If we trust God, we can give cheerfully. If we trust money, we, we can't. But the reality is it's, it's hard to have a cheerful heart sometimes, and it's hard to fake or force that, right? And, and I'm so thankful that when God calls us to, so often, he calls us to feel a certain way, he calls us to, to emote a particular way, but he doesn't just say, feel good. You know, sometimes you get in these conversations with people and, and they start to get upset or, or angry or something, and you're like, change the way you feel, or you have your children, and you're like, have a better attitude, and they're like, but I'm angry. <laughs> That's not what God does. He doesn't say, be joyful now. You're like, you just yell at me. Now I'm sad and angry. No, he gives us reason. Let's look at the next verse. Verse, verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. <clears throat> God is a gracious God. And he's not just a little bit gracious. He's very gracious. And ultimately, your generosity and my generosity generosity shouldn't be formed or shaped or motivated by how much money is in your bank. Right? Because some days you're like, that bank says I should not give. Right? You look at your checkbook and you're like, I don't think my checkbook wants me to be generous. I want to be generous, but I can't look at the... I don't even know how to divide that low. Right? But, but we, don't, we don't look at our checkbook when we think about generosity. We look at the God who provides when you think about generosity. And what does he say about this God? And the God who's able to make what? All grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may also abound in every good work. He uses the word all five times in one verse for a purpose. You know, he's saying he's going to make all grace. What do you mean by all grace abound? I mean, so much grace that you can can do all things. You're sufficient to do all things. When? At all times. What things? All things Every good work that God has for you. Do you have a good work that God has for you? Husbands, do you need to provide for your wives? Do you need to provide for your family? God has a plan to provide all grace for that. Parents, do you need to provide for your children? God has a plan to provide all grace for that. Do you have an organization where you need to pay your employees and you're serving God and you're working to honor him in that? God has a plan to provide all grace for that. Are you trying to send some people to the DR? Do the, there, are there some people who need to raise the funds for the DR? God has grace 
for that. And that grace may be you, as a side note. Talk to them afterwards if you feel called to give some money. There's no good work that God has intended for your life that he will not provide for. I've said this example before, but I'll say it again. It bears uh, repeating. Um, I, was, I was headed to China to teach English uh, with an organization that, that does kind of like social evangelism. They, they'll help you to build relationships with these, these teenage kids in China as you're teaching English, and, and basically you're allowed to answer any questions that they have. So if they start to ask, you know, why do you do this? You can, you can share your testimony. You can, and so it was a, it was a missionary uh, journey. So I was doing this, and I was excited. I was in college, and, and it cost some money to get to China, and I'd raised some money, but I needed about $2,000 to get there. And I was in college, so $2,000 might as well have been $2 billion. I was like, I don't even know how to count that high. Um, so I was praying with my friends and, and trying, to tr- trying to trust God. Have you ever been there where you're, you're trying to trust God? You don't, but you do, but you don't. But you, and you're doing this kind of like, you know, back and forth. You know, in the morning, you're, you feel awesome. By the end of the night, you're like, oh, God, I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> it just kind of depends on your, how much food you've eaten. And, and I was praying and and I went home, and, and there was a, a homemade card that said, I don't remember what it said, but it said something like, God will provide, and it had $2,000 in it. And, and the thing about that story is it's not unique. I have talked to so many people where they've prayed and they've laid down their needs before God, and God has met their needs. Because when God has a good work for you, he's going to pay for that good work. Now, I'll caveat that and say that sometimes his paying for that good work is by you not having so many cappuccinos, <laughs> maybe, you know, eating rice and, or, you know, spaghetti four nights a week or whatever. But God has a way to make his good ideas happen. God will provide for his good ideas. We can, we can give joyfully because we have a God who is immensely faithful to his promises. I mean, he's so faithful to his promises that we see in Scripture the greatest promise that he ever gives is, is he's going to rescue his people. He's going to make his people, make a people for himself, you know, through Abraham. He's going to save people. He's going to crush the serpent. All these uh, massive promises. And, and how does he do it? Does he come in with tanks and lasers and like uh, horses with wings? Does he come in with the Avengers? It happened. <laughs> no. He sends his own son. And it's not, like, it's not like God said, I'm going to make a son and I'm going to send him and he'll die. No, the son who existed with the father from before the foundations of the world, they were perfectly happy, in communion, in need of nothing. Father, son, Holy Spirit, fine. God creates a world where f- the fall happens and then he sends his son to die. And we celebrated that last week, his his death and resurrection and this gracious gift of a person. And and that is the God who we trust when we think about giving in a joyful way. Our joy is not because we love giving money away. I mean, eventually I think our heart gets there, but sometimes you're going to give and you're like, I don't love this feeling a whole bunch. But you know what you're going to say? 
if you live this way, but I love the God who's called me to do this. You know, I, God, I don't know. I've got $35 in the bank and you're asking me to give 25 to this person for this mission trip. That's $10 and it's a long two weeks. But I'm gonna trust you because you're a good God. And I'm gonna give joyfully because I don't know what the plan is, but I know you have one. And I'm excited to see what that plan is. The life of a generous, faith-filled life is giving, uh, sorry, the life of generous, joy-filled giving is a life of enduring righteousness. Look at the last verse, verse nine. He is distributed freely, he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. When I first read that, I was like, oh, that's talking about God. You know, God distributes to the poor. God, he's given freely. His righteousness endures forever. And that's true. Those are all true statements. But if you look at what Paul is quoting, he's actually quoting a psalm, Psalm 112, verse 9. And what's interesting is Psalm 112 is not about God. It's about the person who is faithful to God. And so it's kind of a crazy thing that Paul would say, and the psalmist would say about a person, his righteousness endures forever. I mean, nothing that I do, do I plan for it to endure forever. That's the shocking thing. Paul is saying that there's a kind of benevolence, there's a kind of giving, there's a kind of generosity that doesn't have a ripple effect into next week to allow someone to travel across the world and preach the gospel. It has enduring effects that reach out into eternity. I mean, to, to give you a visual, people are throwing money into God's purposes and ripples are going out for the rest of eternity to where people will remember it, they will remember the work of God, and I believe, I mean, this is somewhat speculation, but I believe when we get to heaven, some of the people that we see will be as a result of that generosity, and some of the worship will be empowered by that generosity. When you consider the money that God has given you, what's your thought? Is your initial thought, my money? When you get your paycheck or you get that, you know, the, 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 the notification in your bank account, are you immediately like, okay, how am I going to spend my money? On one level, that's fine because God gives you money for you to use. But on another level, he's saying, Let, let's rearrange these priorities. You can, you can use your money in a way that actually reaches into eternity. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, I buy, I buy Twix. It doesn't last 10 seconds but I can give money and it, it lasts forever? I mean, that, that's, that's a kind of economical return on investment that you can't categorize. I mean, I appreciate all our long-term retirement plans, but none of that compares to the reality that you could give money to something, to God, uh, through, through a mission trip or through church or through you know, some guy on the street, and it could be something that would transform their life and the righteousness of God would be manifest on the earth. And then that would be carried into eternity. When you think about God meddling, sometimes we think, God, why are you trying to ruin my fun? Why can't I just buy that new iPhone watch or the new Android watch or the new 
whatever. Why can't I get my nails done? And God's like, I, I just, I, I'm happy that you like these things. That's why I gave you the earth. I'm happy that you enjoy good food. That's why I gave you taste buds. I'm happy that you, you know, you, you like the artwork that you want to purchase because I gave you eyes to see and a, and a mind to appreciate aesthetic beauty. But I want to open your eyes to see that there's so much more that you can do with the money that I've given you. I've called you to steward this money, which it implicitly has a purpose. And you can take part in the generous, joy-filled, faithful giving that resounds into eternity. That's what God calls us to when he calls us to biblical stewardship. 